How do you teach engineering well in K through 12 during these days of virtual learning, COVID safety, and beyond? Let's hear lots of tips from a STEM education expert next on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong in Austin, Texas. My guest is Dr. Corey Hall, Curriculum Specialist at STEM Education Works in Pennsylvania. She gained a huge amount of knowledge in technology and engineering education, working as a school librarian for eight years, and also as a middle school teacher and college professor for 24. I started our talk by asking Corey what it was like being a librarian compared to her other roles. I will just tell you that being a school librarian is probably the best job out there. (laughs) Um, And so I was a middle school teacher for a long time. And then actually left K-12, went into higher ed, and I was the director of a STEM ed program, Mm. and then just decided I miss kids. I really, really missed kids. And I went back and got my library degree and stepped into a school library position. And it was absolutely the best years of my entire career. (laughs) It was just a fantastic experience. So... You know, the difference, I think the biggest difference is as a teacher, you have to, you're so focused on making sure you get your curriculum in, you have to do, you know, classroom management. And as a librarian, you kind of get to be a friend and you get to be a support. And yes, I have standards and I was working with my standards, but man, it was great to be a place where kids can just feel like they belong and that's my job. So yeah, it was a really great transition. Cool. So I was going to ask how you got into STEM education, but it sounds like you had, you've had a long experience with STEM ed. Yeah. So I was kind of an early adopter um, way back when, I mean, I started teaching in the 90s. So this tells you how old I am. But I was always kind of an early adopter. I had, uh, I was always made friends. I'm a military wife. So like we would mm. move every three years, no matter where I was, I'd immediately make friends with the ed tech person, you know, whoever, whatever that looked like in that school. So the instructional tech person. I made friends. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask them for any leftover extra technology. So I remember like cobbling together my own little mini computer lab in like the early 2000s. And I'm talking like the old Mac, you know, what were they, the two E's or whatever, like the old blue. IMAX. (laughs) Yeah. They had like round mice. That was really ergonomically bad. Yes. Yes. I had a classroom of those things. Like it was awesome. But that's kind of how I got started was just asking for whatever I could get. And then I would try to figure out way back then, you know, how to integrate technology into my teaching. And like I said, this was way back in the beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I was. I was just kind of an early adopter. I will also just throw in on the side. I grew up with a, uh, my dad's a computer scientist, uh, former soldier, but computer scientist. So we had like the original TRS-180, like the Radio Shack computer that didn't have graphics and you know, okay, I would okay. play Zork for hours and, you know, like map out, you know, I'm a Dungeons and Dragons player too. So that wow, makes a lot of sense, right. but <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> no, that's cool. Like, I guess I'm wondering how does that compare to what you do now? Cause you work for STEM education works as well, which consults in STEM education. Is that the same stuff or? Yeah. So it's really it's so cool how this worked out. Like I just, so I was in the library on March 13th, 2020, when everything shut down here in Pennsylvania. Right. Okay. And I had no idea when I was standing there that that 
when we got the you know call over the announcements that school was shutting down and we had to get all the kids out, that that was going to be the last time I was in my library. Like I truly intended to die in that library at 97. Like that was my mm. goal <laughs> in life. Um, but I had spent those last four years building a makerspace in my library and self-taught uh, robotics and uh, 3D printing and uh, coding and all these things that I had not really had a lot of experience with, I was doing that in the library. So when my district decided to eliminate the middle and high school library positions because of COVID, I fell into this new position where I got to use all of the things I had been spending the last four years learning. Now I'm writing curriculum about. So I have like, I just finished up a book about Sphero. I just finished up a book about 3D printing. Like, it's just crazy that I didn't know anything about those until my library job. And now I'm using every bit of that in this wow. new job. Yeah, your story sounds very similar to what I'm hearing from other educators, whether they're teacher, and I talk to more teachers anyway, but a lot of teachers are just cobbling together things and have been learning stuff over the last couple of years like you, except now it's your job. So that's kind of <laughs> awesome that you get to do all that. Of course, you enjoy this and not yes. everyone enjoys this, I feel like. It's so intimidating to people. I will, yeah. I will tell you that just a few weeks ago, I got to spend time with a faculty, uh, an elementary faculty in Indiana, and they are in integrating some of our curriculum. And I remember walking in and they sort of had that look like, oh God, here we go again, you know, more professional development. We don't mm. want to do this. And they were, they were very intimidated by the 3D printer, but by the end, they were having so much fun. It's just like, if, if, if you give yourself some time to play and, and give yourself some grace to learn that growth mindset, we keep trying to teach our kids, like, mm. They all loved it. They just had to kind of ease into it. And so they were, we were building, we were 3D printing uh, goats to go with a unit that I wrote about the three Billy goats gruff. So it <laughs> oh, was, wow, awesome. it was really fun. But yeah, anyway, I, it's definitely something that I love, but I didn't always love. So. Cool. And I guess we should say you have a strong background, I guess, uh, in teaching younger students, right? Or do you have experience with the wide range? I know you've also done... <laughs> higher ed. So, so in terms Wide of range. STEM education, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, middle school is my heart. Like middle school is where I okay. spent most of my K-12 time and then a couple of years in high school, which is not my heart. Um, and then higher ed, but now I'm writing. So library is K-12. So when you certify library, you're K-12. So my curriculum that I'm writing right now, we have a, a set that's K-5 and focuses on um, 3D printing, robotics and coding. But then we mm -hmm. also have middle and high school curriculum, which okay. is kind of more my, my mindset, but I'm, yeah, we're writing K through 12. All right. Awesome. So let's get into it, I guess. Right now during COVID, what are the types of things that you think teachers can be doing or should be doing uh, in the two different situations? One where people are still distance learning and then the other situation where they're coming back into the classroom and they have to be safe. I guess let's talk about distance learning right now. It is so hard for teachers. I have to tell you, as much as I wish that I was with my team still, um, you know, I, I was with them at the transition that last mm -hmm. couple of months of 2020, but uh, the, I can't even, I can't even explain how badly I feel for teachers right now because their life is chaos. I mean, mm. at least in my kids district, you know, today they're home, then tomorrow they have too many cases and they're, mm -hmm. they're closed for two weeks. So 
I think probably the first thing before we get into anything specific is just to have grace for yourself and to have the ability to be flexible and know that you can't do it all. As a teacher in 2021, you just can't. You're going to have to pick and choose your battles and and just know that your best is the best that you can do. And that's enough. So that's probably what I, I see a lot is teachers. I can't even tell you how many teachers have come to me and said, how do you transition out of the classroom? Because I can't mm. do this anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I just want to, you know, we, we don't want to lose these amazing teachers. They're, they are amazing teachers. They're just being stretched in ways that no one ever expected. Right. Um, so I guess that was just my first piece of advice is, is if you can give yourself some grace, but then there are things you can do. So let's say you're virtual, you're, you're distance, you're in a distance setting. Um, there are so many online resources available. And I would say that your number one resource should be your school librarian, because that's what we do. So we are technology uh, gurus, and we are also experts at learning what we don't know. So the first thing you should be doing is talking to your school librarian because they will know about accessing digital information. They will be happy to jump into your online classroom and co-teach, you know, digital literacy skills. Um, They also would be happy to get you into databases that you need to be in. Um, So definitely, you know, go to your school librarian and, and ask for help. Like this is this is what we were created to do is to jump in in these situations and and help. So that's right. my my first piece. Not to uh, totally derail you. So what if they're in that situation that I guess your school was in where they mm, eliminated librarians? Shame on the district for eliminating librarians. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I hey, would right. say <laughs> then you're going to be stuck with doing a lot of that research on your Oof. own, but it's okay. still. Uh, it's still definitely available. I would say that if you look to some of the big associations like um, AASL, which is the American Association for School Libraries, mm-hmm. they have entire toolkits available that you know share different um, platforms. And you know, if you if you think about the big technologies, you know, Microbit and Sphero, they have complete free curriculum available on their websites for you. So I would say you're, you know, you're unfortunately going to have to do some digging. Don't forget your public libraries too, though. On their websites, they also have technologies available and suggestions and recommendations. And if you can't get into databases through your school library, so let's say you're a social studies teacher, you need your kids to continue to work through your curriculum. You don't know how to access a database because your librarian's been cut. Your public librarian can also help you with that. So don't forget your public libraries. They're there too. Okay. And so what else can they do, I guess, besides going to some of these resources? Are there any other specific suggestions you have? For, for, for teaching for from a distance? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely you're going to have to go about forming relationships with your students in a different way. So for me, I've been an online instructor at the college level for since 2003. So however many years that is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't do too much of the math in STEM. So <laughs> maybe eight years? So, or or no, no, 18 no, years. 18. 18. I think it's 18. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my error. I forgot a, a one. But yeah. So I'm definitely more the science and technology than the math. Um, okay. But I would say that forming relationships with your students it has to be a priority and maybe even a priority over some of the curriculum. And that's going to look really different in a virtual setting. So it could be that you are 
you know, doing some activities online that are, are, are fun, some movement activities. Um, you are getting to know your students. You're using all the different parts of whatever your learning management system is to make sure that you have FaceTime with your kids. I mean, FaceTime is going to be really important. Um, I will throw in kind of a side related note here. You know, mm-hmm. you hear the stories about teachers and Zoom and kids turning their cameras off. And um, mm-hmm. I, I will say, it's more important that your video is on than your kid's video. And that's because you have no idea what your students are dealing with in their particular situation. Right. So forcing a child to put their video on is not always the wisest decision. So just, just throwing that disclaimer out there, you have no idea if your student is homeless and is trying to come to you in a McDonald's parking lot or you know, if they right. are taking care of their siblings in the background. So just kind of throwing that out there as well, but forming relationships with your students any way possible. I mean, things like read alouds, um, a lot of publishing companies have really loosened the reins on the uh, copyright for, hmm. you know, audiobooks. So, okay. you know, that's, especially if it's behind the firewall of a, of a learning management system. So, you know, it's just simple things that just keep you connected with your kids. I love virtual classrooms as opposed to learning management systems. So like your Bitmoji classrooms where you throw some personality in there, you put your connect, you know, your, your links as pictures and just things that make your kids feel comfortable, I think are great ways uh, Hmm. to teach from a distance. Yeah. I've never used the virtual classrooms. I teach older students anyway, so Mm -hmm. I don't know how that would feel. I think it sounds fun. I would want to do that for my, my students if I had time. Are there other tools that are like that, that can help promote a relationship among your students, even at a distance? Absolutely. I mean, you could do things like, I'm thinking about like Google Jamboard, which would have Mm -hmm. you all collaborating at the same time. Um, You know, even, even if you're coming on and doing like, you could have your kids podcasting back and forth, just like you're doing here, you know, bringing them in and and asking them questions and letting them be part of of the learning experience. Um, But I will say even those virtual classrooms work great for high school level as well, because you can insert all kinds of audio and music and you know, you put your your resources in the pictures of laptops and things just so they're feeling like it's a classroom and not staring at Schoology or whatever your learning management system is, which is right. kind of boring. Right. So, right. yeah, just kind of some thoughts. And that's all done just in Google Docs and Google Slides. Okay. So what about engineering specifically? I know relationships, I would agree, are utmost import, are of mm-hmm. utmost importance. Um, but I guess at this in this distance world, like even engineering and design and all these mm-hmm. things, it's hard to do at a distance. How can we get over that? Yeah. So I actually love this topic because I don't know that teachers think, okay. So when I'm thinking about engineering as a librarian, I'm thinking about my makerspace, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my little bits and I'm thinking about my snap circuits and I'm thinking about my spheros and my, and my 3d printing and, and all those pieces, you know, that we, we connect with engineering. Well, if you think about it, what really engineering starts with is the engineering design process, right? Like teaching them all about iteration and and prototyping and all of that. So almost anything you do in a makerspace or fab lab or studio, you can do online, even 3D printing. So one of the things that I, um, when I'm doing professional development or speaking at a conference, I talk about like Tinkercad, even at the high school level, put your Mm. kids in a CAD program, have them do the same exact thing you would do in person. And then they can send you the files for you to print for them. So like you can still be doing the same thing. Oh, let's say you're with K5 and you're working with, you know, little bits and you're teaching circuits. Well, they have an online program now called Fuse. It's free. 
and students can work on little bits virtually. Same exact process. Um, if you're if you're working in uh, robotics and coding, you know, Sphero, they have a virtual pro- micro bit of microcontrollers virtual mm-hmm. micro bit. And so all of the same things that you'd be doing in your lab space, you can be doing virtually. So I mean, I install anything or, or do they no. just need a device or a connection, a device, an internet okay. connected device. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. The only thing that, that I have come across that's a little bit tough to do would be some of your 3d printers require a software program, but not even all of those do. The one that I used in my school library was a, was a cloud-based Printing. You just download the file. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Uh, were students able to like come by and just pick up stuff? Yeah, or how? absolutely. Okay. Awesome. So, and you can do that in a lot of different ways. Um, you can set a table outside. Like, if if they're not coming in, you can set a table outside with their names and label their product. You know, their projects. They just pick them up. Uh, you can mail them if you're feeling really, really, wow, you know, energetic. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I personally did didn't do it that way. You know, I was yeah. creating lending lending library sort of situations, but. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely, and maybe they don't print right now. Maybe they're just learning CAD, but CAD is a huge part of 3D printing. So, you know, right. they, they can absolutely be using the same programs, doing the same strategies, just not in person. And talk about your lending library. What is that exactly? Yeah, so this is something that I don't know is, is brand new. Public libraries have been doing this for a long time. It just hadn't really come into the the scope of schools. But Right now, we have all of these technologies sitting in spaces and students don't have access to them. So lending libraries, it's the idea of getting the technology into kids' hands that they can use right now uh, for short periods of time, and then they send it back in and you send it off to the next student. Mm. So it's actually a very successful system. Um, there are some libraries out there, uh, Florida actually is doing it as, uh, they, they don't call them intermediate units, but basically regional co-ops uh, for their school districts where the schools can borrow these technologies and then send them out to kids. I mean, it's happening everywhere, but these lending libraries give your kids the chance to work with those hands-on activities if you don't want to stay just completely virtual. So, you know, you need to look at the technologies that, technologies that you have and see which you know, right. would be most appropriate, but there are they're not sending 3d printers are not being circulated among students. Are they? You're talking no. about like <laughs> robot kits and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm thinking like elect freaks, you know, the sensor kits, um, okay. micro micro bit is probably the easiest one to send home in a lending library. Spheros, uh, little bits, you know, you could send Lego kits home if you want to stay, you know, maybe a little less technology driven, mm-hmm. but you know, the way that we did it and the way that my company is actually working on this right now is you purchase, I'm going to tell you, for, for a teacher, you go to the dollar store and you get yourself like sandwich containers <laughs> and yes. you pick out the technology that you're going to use. You put it in your container. You put an inventory list on the top so that you can easily track what's in there. You put your power supply. Don't forget the power supply. And then you add a QR code on top that takes them to a website with activities or okay. you put, you know, activity cards in that, in the kit itself. So we've done it both ways. Um, librarians would be happy to barcode your lending kits, and then you just check them in and out like you would a library book. But if you don't have access to that, you use a Google form or a Google sheet and track where okay. your technology Where things is. are and everything. Absolutely. Okay. I was going to ask, like the logistics of that seems like it could be intimidating, but you're saying like a Google spreadsheet or if you have a, if you have that colleague to help you out, then you could do these other things. 
Yes. As a librarian, I barcoded them and then students would just check them out like a book and they would go out for two weeks at a time. They could renew, they could put it on hold, but not like you said, like not every school district right now has a librarian. So a Google form works just fine. So Do you have to worry about accountability at all? Like, let's say I lose some of the wires or something and I'm a young kid. How does that matter? So that, how, how do you deal with that? So that's a great question. And I got this from a public library that is doing this with spheros and little bits and micro bits. So I would definitely create a technology agreement form and the students and parents or guardians would need to sign it either digitally or send a paper copy, keep that on file. And it's saying that they're expect, you know, they're accepting responsibility, just like a book, you know, mm-hmm. that they're ex- accepting responsibility and we'll pay and you'll list on the page what, you know, each item is worth. That would be the way that I would keep up with it. Now, having said that, I worked in a Title I school and for me, it was more important that the kids had access to books than worrying about fines yeah, and fees. Right. Okay. So within my ability and budget, I also allowed a lot of leeway. So a missing cord could possibly be overlooked if I knew, you know, if I knew that a situation was that, that, that they couldn't afford to replace it. So I, I, I always try to err on the side of grace, but that's, that's the official answer is you put an agreement form just like you would you know, for, for anything else. So, right. So this comes down to the relationships you have amongst your students as well. And they're maybe how old they are and you kind of have to adjust and be flexible. Does that sound? Yes. And I would say being in contact with parents more frequently with your younger kids, probably than you would with your, but you know, think about it. Many, many, many of our districts now, especially with, with COVID we're one-to-one anyway. So your Mm. students are taking home expensive devices anyway, right? I mean, they have iPads at home or they have Chromebooks or laptops. So they have much more expensive equipment than the things that we're talking about sending home and lending libraries. True, true. Yeah. Hopefully they've been trained on all this by now in in some sense. Yes. Um, If students don't have access to or or don't want access to, I guess, for some reason, some of these robot kits or technology, Mm -hmm. what can students do at home? Like, can they do stuff that's still design-centered with just whatever they have around? And is that going to be available to everybody? Yeah. So that's a, that's a really good question. If they have the device, so not, let's say we don't, you know, they're not taking home sparrows, they're not taking home little bits. Again, they could go back to the virtual versions of those things. So they could be doing the virtual, you know, micro bit, but let's say that's not interesting to them and they're more of a hands-on kind of student. There Mm -hmm. are so many alternatives where you can just go back to old school, let's build, you know, with cardboard and, you know, I know like there's a book, I think you actually, it's interesting. I think you actually interviewed this author recently where she was teaching <laughs> we, coding without oh, yes, having yeah. a computer. I actually had read her book she and ju- knew her. Oh, you, did? oh <laughs> you did know her. That's awesome. I mean, knew her through like social media kind oh, of stuff, like right, following right. on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. And you can tell me your opinions on that later, I guess. But, I, I, I yeah. actually love the idea. And when I did the code.org training um, in my own intermediate unit, that's actually how we started was that we were learning how oh, to break, you know, the whole idea yeah. is the idea of just of decomposition and breaking big things into smaller pieces. And so like, there's absolutely no reason why they couldn't do some coding exercises 
without yeah, ever in, needing in technology. <laughs> right, right, right. And it depends on the language, but I totally agree. Flow charts, visual representations, absolutely. there's so much. Absolutely. Yeah. I We have a, a product that we just finished that I absolutely love called the Build Smart Clubhouse. And the whole idea is that the kids are building from the ground up their own um you know, clubhouse, we provide like the wood pieces or whatever, but they're learning all about architecture and uh, mm. they have to do like the, you know, how do you correctly, you know, do the, the joints and the, you know, the studs, the corner studs and all that sort of thing. But then mm -hmm. once they're done with the build and they've learned all these architecture terms and these building terms and construction, then they go into the coding piece and they add like the fan and the thermostat and they're using sensor technology so that when it gets past, you know, a certain temperature, I think we set it at 80, then their fan goes on and they add lighting and doorbells and that sort of thing. Well, all of that can be done at home as well, especially if you do some face-to-face -face through Zoom, you know, some instruction. That is as hands-on as it gets. The kids are going through the building process with glue and wood <laughs> at home. So you like miniature learning. kind of things or you're talking about yeah. like a full-size clubhouse? No, so this is probably, I have to think about it. So if we were on video, I'd show you an example, but they're about probably six inches by six inches so they're they're small but they have to do we like we have corner tools and all of that thing cool. they learn all of that yeah it's really fun so i mean we have that we have another one that we were just we just put out called the microcart based on the eva ev microcart racing in indy and um they're doing the same thing where they are if you're in school you're three 3d printing your chassis but if you're at home we have a cereal box version so the kids are actually cutting out a cereal box turning it into the chassis adding the axles and uh, the pulleys and the wheels, and then they're programming it with a micro bit. bit. They have a motor, um, right. and they're adding the headlights. And yeah, so I mean, they're doing awesome. all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's fun, fun stuff that's right. hands on. It sounds like playtime in a way. Yeah, but they're learning. I mean, they learn all kinds of stuff. So yeah, it's great. And virtually or in this distance environment, how can kids show off their work? Because I know that in in person, that's one of the big, I guess, payoffs of doing an yes. engineering class. How do they do that? I think you're going to have to use the tools that you have. So whatever, you know, if you're using Google Meet or if you're using Zoom or whatever, I think you let them do like a gallery walk, but a virtual gallery walk. So each kid has the opportunity to turn on their cameras and show off what they've done. And, you know, the, the projects that we're working on, they are all very personalized and they can explain, like they're just given the same kind of opportunities um, to show off. Or they could do it in something like, um, I'm trying to think what's the flip flip grid, you know, they could do like a flip flip grid situation where each student has a panel and they're sharing their, their projects and their experiences, um, both verbally and, you know, okay. through video. So yeah, I think those are great ways to do that. And you could do it synchronously, asynchronously, I guess. with Either those. one. I think you could do either one, whatever works with your kids. You know, I mean, you know, your kids better than anybody. So yeah, I think it works. It just depends on your situation. How do you promote collaboration at a distance? Because that's another key feature of, of engineering classes at the K-12 level for sure. Mm -hmm. So we're actually working right now with the 4-H in Indiana, and they're doing our clubhouses, and they are using groups. So basically, mm -hmm. they are putting them in breakout sessions in Zoom. And so the students are working and talking through the process virtually in groups. So it works out really, really well. Now they're having to purchase different, you know, like uh, a kit per kid because they can't share a kit at a distance. You know, you'd have to have have mm -hmm. to have access, you know, one per kid per child. But in terms of the actual collaboration, that's how they're doing it. They're putting them in Zoom. Mm -hmm. They're sending into breakout rooms, and you know, the teachers popping in. They're not teachers. They're 
they have a special name. I can't think about what it is, but you know, they're popping in to each group to check on their progress. And then the, the students are reporting back out after each session. And yeah, the kids are, I mean, kids are collaborating right now at a distance without our help. They're already doing right. that as they're playing their video games and, you know, Snapchatting each other and all that. So this is not news to them. It's more new to us that how do you how do you get kids in a room doing what you want them to do virtually? Mm -hmm. And you kind of brought it up, but you mentioned working with the 4-H. This is not just for classrooms officially. They're for these after-school programs for extracurricular stuff. Um, how can you bring STEM education, engineering education, I guess, to more of these educational environments? I'm thinking libraries. Are there other places that we haven't talked about that? maybe we could bring engineering to? Yeah, so this is just a new area for me and for my company that we're looking at. Actually, out-of-school activities, they are, out-of-school activity groups are huge for us right now. We're actually presenting at their conference in April. There's a conference for them. And it includes things like um, Boy and Girls, Boys and Girl Scouts of America, Boys and Girls Club, 4-H, Coder Dojo, um, all kinds of groups where they, in fact, if you go on the Girl Scout of America website, one of their key goals is increasing STEM learning for girls, since girls are so underrepresented in engineering and STEM careers in general. So these groups are already looking for STEM activities. They want to be bringing STEM in. 4-H was, was just so surprising to me because when, you know, when you think of 4-H, what do you think of? Right. I think of farms and farms, things like that. Farms, right? Yeah, right. Like farms. And and the woman that we're working with in Indiana, she said, you know, that has historically been their focus, but now they're being pushed and given money to bring in STEM education for their kids. That's why they were so excited about our clubhouses, because they were like, you know, we're being told that in 4-H, we can't be focusing just on agriculture anymore because agriculture isn't just farming. It's there's so much technology yeah. involved in agriculture. Totally, yeah. So, yeah, these groups are um, are really actually becoming a huge part of our of our community at my company. We were really, we were surprised. We didn't know that there was so much need for these out of school activities. Uh, boy, like mm -hmm. I said, Boys and Girls Club. We just had one finish their their space that they're working on, and they're going to be using uh, curriculum that we've written just because that's their focus too. They want their kids to be coding and and working on computers. They bought three D printers. Like this is it's amazing to watch the transformation. Hmm. Should schools be looking to these after school or out of school organizations to help them integrate STEM education the way they would be before COVID? Do you think I that actually, they've got expertise? I think it works both ways. I think that the after school activity groups should be working with with schools to you know uh what do you call it to recruit students in and i think that the schools should be looking to these clubs and how they're you know being so creative and thinking they have to think outside of the box anyway because they don't have mm -hmm. access to kids and resources and you know spaces like schools do so they absolutely have expertise in thinking outside of the box so i mean absolutely a, a teacher would be would be a remiss to not reach out to some of these groups and 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 public libraries by the way huge in virtual programming right now like reach out to them and use their use them use their their information their expertise their knowledge okay um i want to shift gears a little bit cuz at least here in texas i don't know how it is uh where you are in pennsylvania Corey, but we've got a lot of schools that are open they still yes. got to follow rules Staying yes. safe, kids can't just do whatever they want. So, how does that change engineering, education, computer science, learning, all that stuff 
Um, are there any particular things we got to watch out for right now in terms of in-person safety? That is so important. And you are right. Right now we're in that stage where schools are starting to open back up. Um, so I would say, especially like in a lab setting or a makerspace setting, I, I don't know that we change what we're doing in terms of the materials and the instruction. I think we change how the students are accessing it. So, um, you know, we get into a habit where students, when they're walking in the door, they're immediately, hopefully you have, you know, sinks or or mm -hmm. disinfecting stations are doing that immediately. If you're using rotation station models, then you know maybe you have disinfectant at each rotation, and they, you know, you get into teaching your students the procedures just like you would any other procedure in your classroom. You disinfect, then you work. You disinfect, then you work. Um, I would think also, you know, every technology out there right now. If you go to their website, they have the cleaning. Um, what you need to do for cleaning their technology. So like Sphero, they have an entire portion of their website dedicated to what do you do with your Sphero between student uses. And by the way, it's just wipe it down with, with Clorox wipes because they're so durable. But the same thing with 3D printers. What parts do you want to wipe down? Or do you want to change it so that maybe only the teacher is touching the 3D printer, but the kids are still designing and sending the files? You know, if you're working with manipulatives, you know, do you want to keep bleach water in the back of your room or you got to be careful with that with you know osha but yeah, you know right. <laughs> or spray them down you know how right. do you want to do that and dry them out after every afternoon um yeah so i mean there are definitely ways i don't know that i would change what i'm doing i would just change mm -hmm. the way my students are accessing what i'm doing and making sure i provide lots and lots of opportunities for hand washing disinfecting and then i'm cleaning my materials much more regularly than i would have in the past Okay. Does it change how libraries work in general? It did at the beginning. I think that that's calmed down a little bit. So for a while they were disinfecting books, which I, you know, that was something that I don't think we even knew how to do, but uh, like wiping down books, they would actually uh, put the books like in quarantine for a couple of days between <laughs> student uses. Uh, that is something I think that has really become less Pressing. I think we've realized that you know the virus doesn't live in a book for for very long, and uh, we've kind of moved past that. But I think it's still the idea of just making sure that you have lots and lots of opportunities for students to disinfect, wash their hands if they're going to get a book. You know, when they come to the desk, make sure you're constantly wiping down the circulation desk. Um, access to your computers, you're wiping down the just like the public libraries have been doing for years. You know, making sure right. that there's disinfectant at each station, that kind of thing. So I, I really don't know that it's going to, in the long run, change that much. It's just going to improve our cleanliness procedures. Okay. Do you foresee that people are going to keep these procedures at all? I, I do. I was actually having a conversation on Twitter with somebody, and uh, he's one, one of my favorite principals. And he was saying, you know, I didn't really think about it. But since we've been wearing masks, I haven't gotten sick. Like not talking about COVID. <laughs> I haven't gotten sick yeah. at all. Right, right. Like, like I haven't, I, I know for myself, especially when I was in the classroom, every stinking year in February, I had bronchitis. Didn't matter. Sure. Lost my voice. Has not happened to me since COVID started because we're, we're wearing masks and we're disinfecting right. nonstop. And I think I lived in Asia for a short time and um, they, there's a lot of mask wear, you know, wearing people in, in Asia. I know um, I was in South Korea for a while and I'm thinking, I think that's something that maybe we not necessarily that we're all wearing masks, but that just the idea of being yeah, it's disinfecting. it's not so shocking. It's right? not so shocking. There's a reason that they do it and we're not as sick. <laughs> so yeah. I do think that we've actually learned some things through 
COVID about just simple hygiene processes that we need to keep in place. Oh, for sure. My personal hope is that here in Texas, we have a huge pollen problem yes. around January, February. I don't know if you're familiar, but because of cedar and lots of other trees, it's awful. And so, hey, I will gladly wear a mask for two months of the year if it stops me from suffering in that way. And no one will look at you strangely anymore. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, like yeah. you can take care of it. It'll be, it'll be considered self-care instead of, you know, COVID panic. It's going to just be self-care. I don't want to get sick. I'm totally. going to wear a mask on an airplane for the rest of my life. Like I probably will. I think that's a really <laughs> excellent question. Um, so you talked, you mentioned it real briefly earlier, but I didn't get into it. How do the adults or or the school educational professionals, how do they collaborate together at this time? I know that everyone's pressed for time and mm. resources. All those suggestions that we're making, it sounds like it could be a lot. How, how do people promote the, these relationships amongst each other and work together to do these kinds of things? That's a really good question. I do think that some of it has to do with how close you were before this happened. So if you were in a collaborative situation, I like at the school that I was working at, we were we were very close knit. We were very collaborative. So that easily carried over into the online mm -hmm. world. We just did it through Zoom. Unfortunately, that's not the case for everybody, right? So I think that it's going to take a few, you know, those early adopters, those your librarians, generally speaking, who are <laughs> going to be pushing in. And, and I did have to do that, you know, push in gently, uh, show what we can offer and offer to help. So that's one of the ways librarians do it. We're experts at this. I just have to tell you, we are the sneakiest sneakers that you'll ever meet because we'll do things like we'll co-teach. And I know that that's scary, but we'll even help you grade our part if you let us into your classroom. I think teachers would love that. Oh my gosh. I can't yeah. even tell you, like there were some really steadfast anti-collaborators in my last school district. And it just took a little bit of finagling. You know, hmm. I will take half of your class and I will work on this topic with virtual reality. And so you'll only have to deal with 15 and I'll deal with 15. Like, <laughs> You know, it's yeah, kind of that, that awesome. bribery yeah. sort of thing. But I would say yes. the same thing even online. Like, okay, let's co-teach classes. And that way I can watch your students. You can watch, you know, like there's all kinds of ways that you can work together. And, you know, maybe you're co-lesson planning so that you take off some of the stress of yourself. You know, if, if this person takes this part of the lesson, this person takes this part of the lesson and you rotate and take some of the pressure off. I mean, there's all kinds of, creative ways to connect with teachers and hopefully your administrators are, are pushing that and allowing time for that. Um, I know that my, my son's district, they actually made a change like in October where they realized their teachers were overwhelmed. They were, I mm. mean, there were all, everybody's overwhelmed, but they cut Fridays in half. And so students, every Friday, students are home after 11 o'clock. And then the teachers have that afternoon time to meet with each other in person or Zoom and grade papers and plan, and there's nothing else expected wow. of them on Friday afternoons because they needed that collaborative time. So I just, I think it has to be a priority and administrators are going to have to lead there too. Yeah. Do you have any ideas for the future? I keep on saying, okay, when COVID is over, I trust <laughs> hopefully things will get better. And I, I mean, we hear that COVID will continue in some form mm -hmm. from now on, but I know you said that a lot of these procedures will stay the same, but are there, is there any like broad lessons, I guess, that we should have learned 
after all of this that we should continue to take with us? You know, I think one of the first ones is going to be taking care of ourselves. I think we learned that we are we can only handle so much. Self-care is going to be something that I, I can't tell you how many professional development sessions were dedicated, especially at the beginning of this, to self-care because it's just mm-hmm. something that as teachers we're terrible at. Um, we push and push and push ourselves. We drive ourselves. We work on the weekends. We work late at night. We come in and, you know, I had a friend that I, that I used to teach with that, that would come in at four o'clock in the morning just to make wow. sure that she was ready. And I'm thinking those are the kinds of things that going into the future, we are going to have to look at, we can only handle so much and, and the world can only expect so much of us as teachers. We're, we're human. So self-care I think is important. I think the nature of work is going to shift as well. I don't think online learning is going away. I really don't. I think hmm. that, I mean, it never, it, it was already here, but in, in terms of K-12, I think the idea of hybrid and virtual learning is going to continue um, because people see that for some students, it works really well. It doesn't work for every student, but it works for some students really, really well. So I think offering opportunities for those students who do want to push ahead or like the uh, like working from home and the and the guardians are able to provide that um, guidance. I think that's not. I think that's that's the future. I think that's going to happen. We're going to have more mm-hmm. and more uh, online curriculum provided. We're going to have you know more on, online. Uh, what we call them here, we call them online charter schools in Pennsylvania, like K twelve and um, you know uh, I'm trying to think some of the other ones. Uh, Agora and just some of the big cyber charter schools, Florida virtual schools, huge. So I think we're going to see a lot of that because all of a sudden online learning is the norm and not the exception. Homeschooling, I think you're going to see a lot of homeschooling or micro schooling is going to be a big thing in the future uh, because of COVID. And just now we know we can do it. Teachers are the most creative group of people out there and they have figured out how to make it work. So we're going to see some of these things continuing. Yeah, you're making me think like, of course, making education more accessible is mm-hmm. super important. And I feel like that's what you're getting at in a lot of ways. Uh, are, are there other ways to make education more accessible besides online learning or these hybrid models? Yeah. And so I'm really sad that we weren't totally accessible going into COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of districts caught unprepared. I think one-to-one is going to be the mandate for the future. It has to be. Uh, like snow days are going to be a thing of the past because we're, you know, mm. we have to be one, we have to be one-to-one. Um, I don't know that BYOD, which is, you know, was a, a thing for a little while where kids had to provide their own devices. That's not really equitable access. Um, I think that that's going to be the first thing. It's just making sure that every student has devices. But then something that we had just dipped our toes in before COVID hit was checking out hotspots to our kids Mm-hmm. Um, and I cannot tell you how popular that was. We didn't realize how many students still didn't have internet access. So mm-hmm. hotspots are very inexpensive. We kept 20 in the library and kids would check them out and then they would bring them back in just like they were books so that they had, you know, access to the internet. Uh, I love the idea that some school buses are now being provided with hotspots. And so kids can work on the school buses as they're going back and forth uh, to school. And then public libraries are expanding out the reach of their Wi-Fi. So that kids can, you know, be in the parking lots if they need to be, or of course they could come in, but if it's closed, they can use parking lots. Uh, There's just all kinds. I know the city of Huntsville, they actually have citywide free Wi-Fi so that every student has Mm. access to the internet. Um, So just, that's just some, some really cool ways to ensure that 
every child has access to technology. So how can people find out more about you or STEM Education Works? Is there, I know you're active on Twitter, but is there a best <laughs> way to reach out? Yeah, sure. So my my company can be reached at www.stemeducationworks.com. Um, I love to expand my PLC. So you can find me. I just, I, I love it. So you can find me on Twitter at RC Hallway, or we're also at STEM Education Works um, on Twitter. And then on Instagram, I'm at library underscore doc. So feel free to reach out. I absolutely love talking anything library, anything school, anything kids, especially middle school. Um, Please, please reach out. Uh, I will respond to any of those. I'm on social media way too much. So, you know, feel (laughs) free, feel free to reach out. No, it's a great tool. It can be toxic, but I think that you use it in a very nice way. It helps everybody. And helps professionally. So um, yeah, check Dr. Corey Hall out. Um, so Corey, thank you so much for sharing your ideas today. It was awesome. I know that I went a little longer always than I try to do, but uh, I appreciate it. And I hope people reach out to you. Thank you. I had so much fun. That was Dr. Corey Hall, Curriculum Specialist at STEM Education Works. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my creative studio, Pios Labs, in Austin, Texas, where I work on projects in engineering and education, like podcasts, edtech, curricula, training, and more. Follow Pios Labs on social media to learn more. That's P-I-O-S-L-A-B-S. This podcast is possible thanks to clever people donating to the show on Patreon each month. Help me continue the podcast. Donate to the show at patreon.com slash pioslabs and get some perks when you do. Visit the podcast website for show notes, links, transcripts, and more. Go online to k12engineering.net. That's K, the number 12, engineering.net. Thank you for your support, listener. Until next time. Until next time.